Welcome to Faith Westwood's worship service. My name is Holly Timberlake. I'm the Director of Adult and Family Discipleship. We are so happy that you have joined us for the first week of Advent. Our theme this year is picking up the pieces. During this worship service, we will have music, we'll sing Waiting, Waiting, Verse 1, we'll light the Advent candles, and uh, Miss Leah will have a children's message, and Pastor Steve's message for today is Surprised by Hope. It was no surprise at my Aunt Jill's house that we would have a can of Ready Whip. What was a surprise was what was going to happen with that can of Ready Whip. I know during this season we could be disappointed or worried, and I just would encourage you this week during this service to open up your heart and your mind to be surprised by hope. This is the first Sunday in Advent. Today we light one candle. This is the candle of hope. Advent is a time of hoping and waiting. We wait for the day when we can celebrate again the birth of Christ. We hope that everyone will come to know Christ and worship Him. When we look at the first Advent candle, we remember God's promise of expectation. We know that the Gospel witness leads us to trust God and His hope. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for your Son, Jesus. We are grateful for your word as it reminds us that you are the foundation of our hope. Please help us each day to recognize and to share our hope in you. We believe that this is a way to heal the broken pieces of our lives and let your presence shine your glory here on earth. Amen.
boys and girls, Miss Leah here. I'm so glad you could join us today. I hope everybody had a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Today is the first day of Advent, a season of waiting, filled with hope, joy, love, and peace. And today we're going to begin to unwrap the pieces of the Christmas story as we read the book, The Donkey in the Living Room. Last week I talked to you about wrapping up the pieces of your nativity, like this. And so today we're going to unwrap the Mary and the donkey piece. If you didn't have a chance to wrap them up, that's okay. You can wrap them up after children's time. Or if you don't have a nativity, you could even make your own. If you picked up the Advent devotion box yesterday, there are a couple options in there to make your own nativity. And if you didn't have a chance to pick up the Advent devotion box or this book, you can just let me know and I will make sure that you get one this week. So The Donkey in the Living Room is written by Sarah Raymond Cunningham and she's given us permission and her blessing to read this book. And as I read this book, you can start unwrapping Mary and the Donkey of your nativity pieces. And also as I'm reading, you get to see my friend Chris Bowers make the Christmas story come to life with her painting. So snuggle in and listen to the first part of the donkey in the living room. Mary, mother of Jesus, have you heard about little Miss Mary? Not the one with the lamb or the one contrary, but the one who lived a long time before. To begin this great story, she will tell you more. In the days just before taxes were due, a visitor came to me right out of the blue. An angel appeared, and there standing tall, Gabriel gave me the news that started it all. You're going to have a baby, he cried. I worried, and I trembled, I shook, and I sighed. But don't be afraid, he told me just then. God favors you, Mary, among women and men. How can this be? I asked the winged being. I couldn't believe what I was hearing and seeing. God's Spirit will help you. You will give birth. And the boy who is born, he will save the whole earth. Even though part of me wanted to run, I said, I am God's servant, so let this be done. The donkey. Have you heard of the famed donkey of old? The load that he carried was worth way more than gold. Other donkeys knew he wasn't the same. He will tell us now how he earned his donkey fame. When I was young, Augustus was Caesar. Believe me, his census was not a crowd pleaser. We had to hightail it to our hometowns so the rulers could count us and write our names down. To make their trips a bit quicker, of course, people saddled a donkey or camel or horse. Out of all of the people, Mary's husband-to-be waltzed into the stable and picked little old me. We loaded up and left Galilee fast. Joseph was related to a king from the past. King David had been from a far-off land, so we all had to hoof it through grass, rock, and sand. It wasn't easy tracking through the dust, but my mind was made up to Bethlehem or bust. Love this story, and I can't wait to share more of it with you next week. After children's time, be sure to check out the links to have Sunday school at home. You can find them on the Faith at Home page at faithwestwood.com or in the email that I sent out this morning. And mark your calendars. Faith Westwood is having a drive-through live nativity 
the manger, the same but totally different, on December 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. It's a Saturday. You won't want to miss it. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and always smile upon you. And all God's kids said, Amen. I love you and I miss you all. I'll see you next week. Bye. This morning's reading comes from the book of Luke, the first chapter, beginning with the fifth verse. In the time of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by a lot, according to the custom of priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be a great sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the, his time of service was completed, he returned home, after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, everybody. From my home to yours. Before we get into the message, I want to remind you to send us your prayer requests. We're going to have a special uh, staff edition of a, our Hope and Healing service, and we would love to pray for your prayer requests. So we'd like to get them, we need to get them by Monday at 9 p.m. at the latest. Send them to prayers at faithwestwood.com. That's prayers in the plural, prayers at faithwestwood.com. Thanks. Let's pray now, shall we? Lord Jesus, today we rejoice in your advent, we celebrate your coming into this world, and we rejoice in the hope that you bring to all people. Today, Lord Jesus, we also eagerly await your second coming, when you will restore all things. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And now, because we know we do not live by food alone, we ask you to nourish us with your word. Lead us into truth by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
many Christmases ago, my sister-in-law uh, gave us a dozen hand-painted Christmas eggshell ornaments. Uh, through the decade, um, I guess ten of them became casualties of kids and dogs and loss and adult clumsiness. And like Humpty Dumpty, once an eggshell breaks, there's no putting it together again. Uh, we have a couple that have survived, proved amazingly resilient. I was looking for them and can't find them. I'm sure Trish could, but she's not here right now. Uh, today, we begin Advent, preparing ourselves for Christmas. And our theme this year is picking up the pieces. We have an Advent devotional for you to, to pick up as well by the same title, written by a pastor friend of mine and his wife. Picking up the pieces seemed especially appropriate for 2020. How do we make life work now when nothing feels normal anymore? And yet, I began to think, what if we viewed the pandemic as an opportunity? Now, I know that sounds strange, but hear me out. What if it's an opportunity to understand and appreciate Christmas better than we ever have before? Think about it. This year, we won't be going to office parties and large family gatherings. We won't be going to plays and pageants. We'll miss out on concerts and caroling, which are all good things. I love them. But 2020 is our opportunity to find out what Christmas means when all of the outer layers have been stripped away. What's left? What will Christmas mean then? This year, we will pick up the leftover pieces, and see what God can do. Remember the leg lamp in the movie A Christmas Story? Well, once it's broken, Ralphie's dad cannot put it back together again. His skill and his glue just won't do. So he picks up all the broken pieces of his major award and carries them outside. Christmas means we have a God who picks up the pieces and is able to rebuild them so we can start over. The big story of the Bible is that when God was faced with his broken creation, he set in motion a grand plan to restore it. It began with his covenant with Abraham and Sarah. God promised to make their descendants into a great nation that would bless the world. The story continued with their great-grandsons, Joseph and his brothers, who became namesakes for the twelve tribes of Israel. The story started a new chapter when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, and God gave them the law. The story moved on with judges and kings and queens leading God's covenant people. Some of them led faithfully, some of them led faithlessly. And the prophets kept calling the people to remember God's story. But they kept forgetting, willfully, stubbornly. The people turned their back on God. They, they worshipped idols. They oppressed the poor. They even sacrificed their own children. But God did not give up on them. He kept gathering up all of that brokenness and reshaping it and breathing life into it. This morning's scripture begins in the time of Herod, king of Judea. When I first read that, I sound just like a historical note, nothing more. But it's much more. 
Luke the writer is rem reminding his readers about a ruler infamous for his brutality and immorality. Herod the Great gained his crown from courting favor with Rome. Now Herod was technically raised a Jew, but his, his parents were among Arabs who had been threatened by the previous Jewish dynasty. They were told to convert to Judaism or be forced to leave. So they converted. Whether genuinely or not, who knows. One lesson I hope we learn from history is that forced conversions are never a good idea. Would you agree? In the time of Herod, king of Judea, I'm sure some Jews liked Herod. He, he enlarged uh, the, the level area around the temple by building retaining walls. Uh, today we call the, that the, the Temple Mount. Those walls are still there. Part of it we call the Western Wall. Now, when the project was done the, of the Temple Mount and the retaining walls, Herod expanded the temple and its courtyard, and the finished project was a wonder to behold, breathtakingly beautiful. Of course, that temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, has never been rebuilt. Even today, some Jews will not walk on the Temple Mount because they might accidentally step on an area where the Holy of Holies of the Temple was. Today, interestingly, there are three mosques on the Temple Mount, including the Dome of the Rock. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, Herod's father was a friend of Julius Caesar and was given charge of affairs in Judea. Through his father's influence, Herod, while still in his 20s, was made governor of Galilee. And during a time of upheaval, Herod fled to Rome and received the appointment king of the Jews. To cement his power, Herod banished his wife and son and married Mariamne, the niece of the previous Jewish king. And in the years that followed, anyone who fell out of Herod's favor, anyone he felt was a threat, he had them killed. He even had his wife, Mariamne, executed, along with several other members of his family. It was said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, Herod also taxed his subjects severely to pay for his many building projects and to pay for lavish gifts he loved to give to his friends. Herod also employed a secret police to listen to what people were saying about him. You had to be careful what you said in public. He even had a large golden eagle, a symbol of Roman power, placed at the entrance of the temple in Jerusalem. How could he be so sacrilegious? In the time of Herod, king of Judea, Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, said that the paranoid dying Herod was so worried that no one would mourn his death that he ordered a large group of distinguished citizens be brought to Jericho where he was. He ordered that they all be killed the moment he died so there would be weeping at his death. Fortunately, those orders were not carried out. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, 
The Jewish people prayed. They prayed that God would set them free from Roman oppression. They prayed for a new exodus. They prayed for a new king that would come, their Messiah. The crowd of people praying in the temple courtyard would be especially large on Sabbath days. Every week, a division of about 750 priests descended upon Jerusalem to perform all the priestly duties at the temple. Each division served for a week twice a year. Morning and evening, a priest would enter the first holy place of the temple and put incense on the fire of the incense altar. The priest of the day was chosen by lot, kind of like throwing dice. They, they trusted that God was in that decision. One day, maybe on a Sabbath day, the lot fell to an elderly priest. It may have been the only time in his life when he was chosen to burn the incense in the temple. What a sacred honor. The idea was that as the incense smoke wafted up, it accompanied the people's prayers going up to God. Now let's look at the rest of Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. As we heard in the chapter, or in the scripture Cassidy read, this elderly priest, Zechariah, and his wife Elizabeth had suffered the long, long grief of infertility. I imagine that their prayers for a child and their, their prayers of lament for not being given a child had long since passed. Now, they simply resolved to stay faithful to God with the life they'd been given. That day, as Zechariah walked into the sacred chamber of the temple, carrying the incense, he was startled. Someone was standing there by the incense altar, and he felt the holy fear that comes when the earthly meets the heavenly. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Aren't those beautiful words? Let me say it again. Listen. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, Zechariah might have been wondering, what prayer is he talking about? The prayer he and all the others continued to pray for is the freedom of Israel, the new exodus, the, the coming of the Messiah. And yet on this day, God begins to answer both, answer both that present prayer and a previous prayer, the prayer for a child. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, their son would have an important part in God's story. He would prepare the people for the advent, the coming of the Messiah. The appearance of an angel in the temple and the words spoken to Zechariah brought hope. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Does that sound hopeful to you? Try inserting your name where Zechariah had been. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Today seems like an appropriate time to talk to those of you who have struggled with infertility. I've talked with many. 
over and prayed with many over the years. You know, infertility is so hard to understand. You, you didn't get it from your parents, so why is it happening to you? Others of you have gone through the hidden grief of miscarriage, maybe multiple times. Let me say this. This is not punishment from God. I mean, consider Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were righteous people. They were obedient to God's commands, and yet they suffered all those years. And although it was a blessing to finally have a baby, a newborn is not an easy blessing in your old age. I can imagine them going, Why now, Lord? And even if they had not been given a child, God's message to them would still have been, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, Elizabeth. Your prayer has been heard. Your tears have been counted. Your sorrow has been shared by God. Many things we endure in this life we cannot explain. Years ago, I, I realized that I cannot adequately explain suffering. I can, there's some things I can say that are important to say. But in my own mind, they're not enough. The tragedy in this world cannot be fully explained, whether you believe in God or not. That's why the scriptures give us prayers of lament. So that we know that we, that we can cry out to God with whatever's on our hearts, even when the answers we're seeking are not coming. You know, it's kind of like this. I don't understand the darkness, but I still believe in the light. As John 1, verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That means that God cares, and God listens, and God acts, and God sent His Son to come to our rescue. Do not be afraid, my friends. God has heard your prayer. When we first started learning about the novel coronavirus, I figured, hey, this is just going to be a China thing. I thought it'd be over soon. I certainly didn't expect we'd see worldwide uh, pandemic with nearly one and a half million COVID deaths so far. Did you know that here in the U.S., so far, we have had a COVID death for every 1,250 people? Does that put it in perspective for you? And I think it's okay to cry out to God, where are you in all this? Don't you see what's happening? Aren't you listening? And today, we are surprised by this word of hope. Do not be afraid. God has heard your prayer. You're praying for your daughter who's in an abusive marriage. You've been praying for years. You, I would say keep praying and today, hear this word of hope. Do not be afraid. God has heard your prayer. You've been praying for your boss for years, who, who can be insulting and unfair and mean. It's hard to pray for this person sometimes, but you keep praying. Today, hear the word of hope. Do not be afraid. God has heard your prayer. You've been suffering from constant pain for years. Maybe it's your back, your neck, your knees, your digestive system. Sometimes 
The pain wears you down. It wears you out. It, it limits you so much. What you can do, what you can't do. But don't give up. And don't quit praying. Do not be afraid. God has heard your prayer. And you might say, but what good is it that God hears my prayer if nothing changes? And I say this, and I want you to take this with you today and throughout this week. When you pray, in time, God will either change your circumstances or change you. And to me, that is a word of hope. Let me say it again. When you pray, in time, God will either change your circumstances or change you. Even during your praying and waiting, something important is happening. God is refining you. God is teaching you to persevere. God is perfecting your character and showing you what real hope is. That's what the Apostle Paul told the believers in Rome. He said, we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And we cling to the hope, the hope above all hopes, that there will be a day when God restores heaven and earth. On that day, we who belong to Jesus will receive our resurrection bodies. On that day, we will see Jesus face to face. We will see his wounds from suffering on the cross. And we will be made pure as he is pure. Isn't that a great hope? And we will no longer fear one another. Now I'd like to invite you into a time of guided prayer. During this time, feel free to close your eyes or gaze out the window. Look at the image on the screen. Let's pray. Oh God, you know the grief and sorrow we've carried for so long. You know the disappointments we've faced, the heartaches and heartbreaks we've endured. And now I invite you to name one of your sorrows before God. Oh God, today we ask you for what we need, what we desire whether this is the first time we've asked or if we've said it a hundred times before. And now I invite you to humbly, boldly bring your request to God. God, sometimes you surprise us by speaking through that quiet inner voice. Sometimes you surprise us by sending someone to speak your word to us. And yet, we're afraid. We're afraid to hope that much. And now I invite you to admit your fear, your fear of listening to God, your fear of trusting God, your fear of raising your hopes 
God, today we hear your word. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Now I invite you to silently say the angel's words and insert your name. Speak it to yourself. Amen. Now, before I go, I want to toss out a question for those of you worshiping on Facebook. Uh, I'd love to have you respond in, to it in the comments. Here it is. What is one thing you're waiting for? Uh, you can respond however you want. It can be trivial or deep, funny or serious. Any answer is good. And I'd just love to see you reply to each other's comments. So have some fun with it. See you next time. God bless.
I find hope in nature, in sunrises and sunsets, and the big sky with all the stars in it at night. I also find hope in the random acts of kindness of you as a congregation. I was so moved that this year that you as a congregation filled up 375 Thanksgiving bags again to serve our local community. Thank you. I also would like to remind you to stop by faithwestwood.com forward slash service fill out a connection card, and give us your prayer request. You can also give financially on that website. And our mission offering this week is for United Methodist Student Sunday. This funds scholarships and programs for promising United Methodist students. We invite you next week to return for Rescued and Rejoicing.